Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Two people may be talking, but neither can understand the other. Health literacy, how to avoid who's on first when talking with your doctor. Tonight, on call with the Prairie Doc. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. I'm Dr. Joe Cruz, your Prairie Doc this evening. What is on second? You don't want who on second? No, who's on first? I don't know. Third base. <laughs> this famous sketch from the comedy team Abbott and Costello reaches back to the 1930s. It is an illustration of two people talking about the same thing, in this case baseball, but not understanding each other. When you and your health providers talk, it is important that you understand one another. But first, a look at this week's Prairie Doc quiz question. True or false tonight? To improve health literacy, patients should have the option to hear health explanations in their native language. True or false? Viewers who call in the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a copy of the book, The Picture of Health. Each of Dr. Holmes' essays, originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc, comes with a wonderful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson. We will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. Remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about communicating healthcare as they're called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. Joining us tonight in studio is Dr. Tim Ridgway, an old friend of the program, and in June of 2020 was named the Vice President of Health Affairs and Dean of the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine. And remotely via Zoom is Dr. Mina Butra, a board member for Doctors for America and Assistant Professor of Medicine and Epidemiology at the University of Pennsylvania Perlman School of Medicine and a senior scholar at the Center for Clinical Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome. I am so excited to have uh, two specialists here to talk about how important it is to talk to uh, patients. So um, I'd love for you guys to introduce yourself a little bit further, tell a little bit about your background and interests. Uh, we'll start with you, Dr. Mina, ladies first. Well, thank you very much. Um, so my name is Mina Butra. I am here in Philadelphia. It's a real pleasure and honor to be on. I actually grew up though in Omaha, Nebraska. So I feel like I'm closer to home. Um, I treat patients predominantly with inflammatory bowel disease. That would be Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis if folks are recognize either one of those two terms. And this is a really particularly hard disease because it almost preferentially affects younger patients who have never been sick before, and all of a sudden they're being hit with a ton of bricks, a lifelong disease, no cures, and tons of scary medical terminology and medications and, and issues of concerns of complications and risks. And 
a lot of issues with um, dealing with health literacy come up every visit with every patient. Yes, definitely. So, Dr. Ridgway, do you want to talk about uh, about your new role? Well, I too am a gastroenterologist, but it's fun tonight because uh, instead of talking about GI diseases, we're talking about something that is near and dear to me, and it gets me back to why I went into medicine in the first place, and that is we've all seen family members, good friends, engage the healthcare system, and maybe some of them haven't had that experience that we would like. Uh, and a lot of it, it's communication. Um, if you'd have told me that I would be sitting here as the dean of the uh, School of Medicine here in South Dakota, uh, farthest thing from my mind 10 or 15 years ago. But along the way, in addition to caring for patients, I was just passionate about educating our next generation of healthcare providers. And I think it's so important, especially in this day and age, yes, we have the technology. Yes, we have all these wonderful tools at our side. But how good are they if we cannot communicate, if we cannot understand what our patients are trying to tell us so that we can meet the needs that they bring to the office? And so I'm looking forward to this tonight. I, I hope we have some really good questions and I hope we can give some answers. Yes, I think this is a, a really good time because there's so many times where someone you know, talks to a family member, what did the doctor say? Well, I don't know, or you know, they think they heard something or, or misunderstood something, and then a lot of confusion and frustration can happen. Um, and I know when I talk to a lot of med students, pre-med students, a lot of them will have a, a family member or some experience where they said, you know, I wanna do better. And I think medicine training is really getting better at how do we teach our students to be better doctors, better communicators, not just to be the, the smartest person in the room, but to be the kindest and the most empathetic and the one who can explain and you know, get back to that Latin root of doctor, which means teacher. Correct. I've always said that, yes, we have to have the knowledge base. But, you know, when patients come to see us, that's a given. They, they expect that, right? We graduated medical school. We went to residency programs. But they want more. They want you to treat them as human beings, as people who are vulnerable. And so the responsibility of us as educators is to help these students be empathetic, learn the right questions to ask, more importantly, how to listen, and I think trust. If you don't have the trust, then everything else is going to fall through. Exactly. And that trust, I mean, that's definitely the whole point of a relationship with a patient. If they don't trust you, then why should they take the medication that you recommend? Why should they see the specialists that you want them to see? Why would they do anything they ask if they don't trust your judgment? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's really interesting that I think medicine has evolved as well. Um, there's this whole view that, and, and I think I, you still see it in some physicians, quite honestly, that medicine is a patriarchal sort of, of communication. I know better than the patient. I'm going to tell them what to do, and I expect them to do it. And it's, it's fascinating if you look at the history of medicine, how much that's shifted now to a more of a, a shared decision-making sort of role where I'm going to give my best advice to a patient, but then I need to listen to what their values are, what their concerns are, what their preferences are, and then together we're going to come to a decision. And that means there's a two-way sort of street. They need to understand what we're saying and what we're explaining to them. We need to be able to educate them. Um, 
where they may not have that education, but then we also have to be able to hear what their concerns are, what their questions are, what they don't understand, what they're most fearful for, um, what their preferences for certain things are, so that the decision may not be the same one that you went in the room with at the end of the day, but it's the one that you've come together as a team to make for that particular patient. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's, that's beautiful. You have to make the right decision for that patient. Not, it's not a textbook. It's not a one size fits all. This is the right answer for every person. You need to take in, yeah. What are their goals? What are their, uh, what's important to them? And that is the art of medicine. Excellent. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. So not an easy thing here. So. Um, you know, and also a long time ago, it seemed like doctors were the only source of that medical knowledge. You couldn't look up anything. Now we have Google and people can look up all these diagnoses and learn about these, you know, I, you know um, you're getting advertisements for medication. Ask your doctor if this medication is right for you. We didn't have that 10, 20 years ago. Now people come into me sometimes with stuff they printed off from the internet and said, what do you think of this? Uh, you know, is this something that, is, is this good information? Is this bad information? Should I trust this? Should I trust you? Should I trust what my friends on Facebook said when I asked, you know, this other group of moms who are dealing with this or support groups? There's tons of support groups for lots of chronic diseases like ulcerative colitis or IBS or, you know, I heard someone is trying this new medication. What do you think of that? So that's, you know, really we're not the only ones that uh, have all the knowledge anymore. So we have to, with this shared knowledge, I think it forces us to up our game and be better at explaining that knowledge because knowledge without understanding is dangerous. That is correct. I, I, think, I think some physicians would be threatened when their patients would come in and they Googled something, they researched it on the internet. I, I, I enjoyed that. I said, you know, I want you to be as educated as you can, but you're right, there's good information and then there's misinformation. And so that allows us to have a conversation. They already come in with a knowledge base on what they read. I can listen and I can affirm, yes, you're absolutely right in this context. Or there may be something, as we know in the internet, there can be a lot of things that are not truthful and frankly, dangerous. Yes. I think our, our job is to point out when that's the case and more importantly, explain why. Yes, the yeah. why, I, definitely. And it's it's very frightening in a lot of cases, the rise of misinformation that has occurred um, and that is so widely accessible. And it gets again to this issue of trust. Uh, you know, people are, studies have shown that people are more willing to trust somebody that they know personally on Facebook than they are to trust their doctor in a lot of situations or a doctor. And so it is equally important, I think, I, I tell my students, have a list of resources. You're not gonna have time in 20 minutes to get into the nitty gritty of every single thing, but have a list of resources that you can give like a prescription to a patient, but instead of a prescription for a medication, it's a prescription to go to this website and read about this pro or take this, you know, learn about this program or learn about these medications. I'm gonna write out these medications. I want you to go to this website and read about them, write down your questions and bring them to our next visit. Um, because you want to be able to direct them to places where they can get trustworthy information and where you can feel like they're getting the best information that's going to make your visit with them um, more productive about 
appropriate choices and not about trying to dispel all the miscommunication that's out there or misinformation, I meant. Yes, definitely. Well, we are getting some excellent uh, questions here. Uh, one person called in and said, uh, was talking about the switch to the electronic medical records. And this person says that they're ha seeming to have a harder time accessing that, uh, their information than they did when it was the old paper charts. So <laughs> I, things have definitely changed. I, say, we, we, I do like it better than the paper charts because I had a lot of my attendings um, when I was a medical student and I could not read a word that they wrote. I had no idea what they were saying. <laughs> yes, it, it's all typed now, so it's, yeah. But it is a generational thing. Mm -hmm. um, yes, yeah. it's been a wonderful thing, but if, if our patients aren't really savvy on the computer, um, internet access in some areas, all different kinds of things, then it can be another barrier. It can. Um, and, yeah. and we assume that it's great, it's wonderful. Well, maybe not so. And understanding, and some people may be afraid to bring up and say, you know, I don't have a computer, or I, I'm just not comfortable doing this. And I think we as physicians need to understand where they're coming from and then work out a way that we can get that knowledge to them and, and in a way that doesn't make them feel inferior, that, yeah. that they're embarrassed to talk about that. Because it's very real, very real. And there's another flip side to that, which is sometimes access to too much of your records gives you access to things that nobody talked to you about, but you yeah. fear. So I had a, a friend who was too afraid to talk to his doctor, but he'd gotten, he'd had a history of cancer. He'd gotten a CAT scan just to follow up on the cancer. The CAT scan did not find any cancer. The doctor read him, sent him a quick note saying, no cancer, you're great, it looks fine. But he read through the whole report and it showed all these other things and these words that he didn't quite understand. And he thought he was falling apart. He called me up so upset. And I, I was like, you got to send me the report. We're going to walk through this piece by piece. And let me explain to you what's really going on here and why your doctor didn't mention this. And so I think we need to be cognizant of all the information that folks do also have access to um, it, it, because it can cause a lot of fear and they may be too afraid to bring it up, but they're going to, to go to someplace else with that fear. Yeah. And if you don't have that trust, they're not going to come to you and we want them to come to us. And ask us those questions so yeah. definitely yes all right so a caller is wondering why physicians are sometimes dismissive about getting prescription recommendations and questions from patients even though the medications are advertised on the television so ask your doctor about x y and z why do we sometimes say no i, I don't think we want to start with that medication yeah, that, that, that is something that, that has occurred since the pharmaceutical companies were able to advertise on TV. And of course, we have to remember, they're trying to sell a product. And, uh, but I also think that we as physicians need to be careful and not be judgmental because mm -hmm. the, the caller is definitely feeling that, right? right? That caller is feeling judged because mm -hmm. they came in with a question. And I think, again, that word trust comes in and the provider has to realize that this is an earnest question and not dismiss it, but explain, yes, this is a drug, it's in this class. I really feel the best medication for you is drug X as opposed to Y, and here's why. Um, it may be that it's a lot cheaper yes. and just as effective. 
because yeah. I think there's a perception that if it's advertised on TV, it must be great, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's marketing. Um, so our job, I see it as physicians, is not to be dismissive, not to be judgmental, but listen to the question and say, you know, that you've raised a very good question and let me explain. I've considered this medication, but I was gonna consider this one and this is why. And you make that a conversation where then you can come to mutual agreement as to what you wanna do. But the minute patients feel that you're talking down to them, you're being kind of, then again, you lose that, that conversation piece and, and the communication just gets lost. Right. Absolutely, and I think that also extends to the non-pharmaceuticals, the um, online, the, the natural supplements or the herbal supplements that many patients come in with questions about because everyone's looking for something that they can do um, that is all natural or that seems like it's not a medication that's gonna make them better. And it's if you just right out of the board, just say no that doesn't work it hasn't been fda approved or whatever then they're going to feel like you're just against everything that's not a drug and and that's also a place where patients don't often they, they're going to feel dismissed they're going to feel like you're not listening to what their concerns are i i will be honest with them i'll look things up and i'll say you know i don't think this is going to interact with any of your medications i don't think it's going to cause you any benefit but i don't think it may cause harm how much is this costing you we'll have a whole conversation about it so that they can see I'm trying. I am trying to understand what it is, and I want to understand why they want to take this or what they want to get out of this. And these are my concerns with it. And and you know we'll go from there. Um, sometimes there's an absolute no, being, being dangerous. But many times it's it's a a discussion that you have with them, just like any other medication. Yes, and and the discussion is is very important part. So. Another important part of health literacy is understanding the medications you're taking and the right time to take them. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt spoke with Sarah McGill at Avera Medical Group to learn more about her role in health literacy and the value of compliance packs. It's very important that providers, healthcare providers and patients can have a conversation where they're both understanding the words understanding the intention and the expectations. And so if I use a term that a patient is not familiar with, I need to be aware of that. Hopefully patients feel comfortable asking for clarification, but sometimes they don't. And so it's really important to be able to recognize the words that we're using so that we can have a communication and conversation that we're all understanding. Well, one of the first things that I stress to patients when I'm introducing the visit is that this is a team-based environment. So I really try to introduce that level of comfort to begin with, and I invite them to interrupt if there's any questions or concerns as we talk. So it's just a discussion, just like anything else that they would have with their doctor or their nurse as they're sitting in an exam room. A compliance pack is really just a way to organize medications so that it's easier for the patient to take. If you think about the words we use there, compliance, it's not just about the patient taking the medication exactly as prescribed but working with their healthcare team, so their, their providers and their pharmacists, if they're having problems taking medications appropriately. Again, coming back to that concept of team-based care um, to make sure that patients know how to take their medications and can do so appropriately. So coming up with a plan in, in regards to how they're gonna take medications, I think is, is that concept of compliance. And the packaging part of it really is just a service that the pharmacy can provide, depending on the, on the pharmacy that the patient uses, to organize their medications. 
So a patient only has to know for in most cases the, the day of the week and the time of the day. Is there a big cost difference here on whether the pharmacy does it or not? Yes, it's much more convenient for patients to, to move forward with taking their medications appropriately. They don't have to do that, that legwork themselves or ask a family member to do so. The cost is really dependent on the different pharmacy. So some pharmacies will offer that as, as a service for free for the patients who do business with them. Sometimes there will be an additional charge with their copay. It's entirely dependent on the facility. How much peace of mind does a compliance pack offer for a patient? Um, I've worked with specific patients before that have expressed significant relief multiple times. It's so much easier. I don't have to remember to refill my medications because the, the, the pharmacy is working with the provider to get the timing of the refills appropriate so that they can dispense that at the right time. They don't have to keep track of the different pill bottles. Um, it's, it's always helpful to know what you're taking and why, but in some patients that's too much to ask. And so um, you can have some peace of mind that, again, what, you're, what is organized for you in the particular packaging is, is the appropriate medication for you to take at the appropriate time. Well, compliance packing is something that I talk a lot about with my patients, especially as they get older or if we have concerns about some you know, cognitive decline or some dementia setting in. Um, I don't know if you guys talk about that much with your GI patients, but... Um, I love this. I love that whole segment. That yeah. was fantastic. I, I mean, we don't... Some of our medications are, will not fit in a compliance package. Like there may be an infusion medication or something. But I will also say that it, I think it exemplifies getting a, a teamwork approach to these patients. I can't do all of this. Um, the, medications are getting harder to get too. There are insurance issues and pre-certifications mm -hmm. and, and you know, appeals and denials. And it's not just remembering to take the medication. It, as was pointed out, sometimes it's just getting the medication itself and then trying to figure out when I'm supposed to take it and how I'm supposed to take it. And if you can have somebody on your team and identify somebody like a pharmacist um, who can help you with that ev with all the medications you have that's invaluable one of the major emphasis on modern medical education is exactly what dr meany just talked about teamwork uh, interprofessional education we call it mm -hmm. so we'll have simulations where we'll have a nurse and a pharmacist and a physician and a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. And we will give them scenarios. And in real time, videoed, uh, where with observers in a room where they can't be seen, we'll watch this group of individuals interact. And they're learning the team approach because gone are the days, and they should be gone, mm -hmm. where the physician just says, take this, this, and this, and I'll see you in two weeks. It's <laughs> way too complicated. It's just way too complicated. And so we really are trying to get that emphasize yeah. to our students mm -hmm. and and i think the patients are going to be the beneficiaries of that i really do yes and i was going to say if patients should ask if those services are available um and but i think 
practices and physicians should try to make those those services available. Some some have more bandwidth to do this than others, but I have uh, monthly meetings with just our nursing staff, and just to, to 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 give them the same lectures I would give at a national meeting, so that they're understanding the disease and they're understanding what we want to be telling our patients so that everybody's on the same page. And if I can't answer the call quickly enough or if there's something really urgently that needs to happen, they're gonna know what needs to do be done. And they feel like we're part of a team, we're, because we are. Um, it, especially with COVID and everybody being scattered and not really being able to be in person as much, being able to have that teamwork approach is, is really important. Yeah, and I think anytime someone's starting a new medication, important things to know is one, what's the name of this medication? And is there more than one name? Is there a brand name or a generic name? You know, Lasix versus furosemide. So what is it called? When am I supposed to take it? Is it morning, night, once a day? What does once a day mean? Does that mean I pick it at, take it at 9 a.m. and then I can take it at 6 p.m. the next day? Or is it supposed to be taken the same time every day? You know, um, why am I taking it? What, what is the diagnosis that this is supposed to be helping? How long am I supposed to be taking it? Do I take one prescription bottle and when that bottle's done, I'm done? Or do I have to, you know, is this gonna be something I'm gonna be on long-term? That's a question I get a lot of times with uh, blood pressure medications. Do I take just one bottle of this and then when I'm done, I'm done? Do I, or am I gonna be on this for the rest of my life? You know, and, and the question to that is, as long as your blood pressure is high, you'll be on it. If you make lifestyle, diet changes, weight loss, you know, we might be able to get off, but some meds are gonna be chronic. Some, like antibiotics, are gonna be short-term. When people call in and say, I, I need another round, I need another round, it's like, no, this was supposed to be a one-time fix it and done. So what is it? When do you take it? What is it for? What are the benefits of this medication? What is it supposed to be helping? And what are the side effects? Because I've had people come in with the sheet that you get from the pharmacy that has <laughs> all of the side effects on it. And they will say, oh my gosh, I felt a tickle in my throat. And right here on page five, it says it can cause a tickle in your throat. Do I need to stop this medication? Um, and to know that those pharmacy inserts are there by law. They were written for lawyers, by lawyers. And I, I love to pull up um, up to date because on there, this is a medical, basically doctor version of Google, which I love. It's, it's an up to date, continually um, improved and updated uh, website for physicians. And it will put a medication and then it'll say what percentage. Okay, 10% of the people have a tickle in their throat. 5% might have um, excessive sweating and 1% will have hangnails. Well, you know, so if you got a hangnail, there's a 1% risk that it could happen. So then we talk about, that talks about that risk-benefit ratio. And I know with your biologics, that's a big conversation because sometimes the risks are there. And if you find out about these risks from reading your insert and not from your doctor, that erodes that trust. We have, always, we have always said that if aspirin had to go through FDA regulation, it would be a prescription drug. Any medicine you read about, if you list everything that can happen, it's terrifying. But again, that's where the provider has to be that trustworthy source to help interpret this in common sense language, risk benefit to make sense of it. Because if not, like you said, we're reading this long list and why would I wanna take this? This is terrifying to me. 
I, I mean, people see the commercials and the commercials have that last like, you know, 30 seconds and all the side effects come <laughs> up and, and nobody wants to take those medications. Um, I, I think just as important of an issue as health literacy is also the issue of numeracy and just remembering that over 50% of people in America lack the ability to apply math to print material. And it's not just our patients. This is widespread among the medical professionals as well, all the way up to senior doctors. And so we really do have to think carefully about what are we saying? Like, a perfect example is the risk of a biologic, of a medication. If you read the package insert, it says four times increased risk and patients get terrified that four times increased risk of lymphoma. And you have to sit down and say, look, your risk of lymphoma is going to be two in every 10,000. So four times that is much, much less than 1%. But let me talk to you about what is gonna happen if we don't take this medication and what are the risks and how real are those risks if we don't use this medication in your disease. And I try to preempt those conversations because I know that the minute I tell them we're gonna start this drug, the first thing they're going to do is go read the package insert and, and they're gonna get terrified. So I try to preempt it by saying, these are the most common side effects I see in my patients. And, but also being really cognizant that people may not understand the numbers you're throwing at them. And so just the same as what is the, you know, what is the name of my medication? How do I take it? And what does it do? I think we have to be really careful of when we're throwing numbers at patients that we try to, to make them as clear for patients as possible. Yes, and, and statistics can definitely be manipulated. I mean, it's yes. all in how things are, um expressed to patients. You can say, this surgery will give you a 40% chance of dying. And you're like, I don't want the surgery. Or you could say, this surgery could give you a 60% chance of living. Well, I yes. want the surgery. I want that 60. So it's all in, sometimes our words um, are very important on how we choose to frame something where we can make something sound like it's a godsend or make it sound like it's terrible. That's what Mark Twain said. He said, there are lies, there are terrible lies, and then there's statistics. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. exactly right. <laughs> I, I will say, you know, to uh, get to tie in two of the points, the, the, you know, having that teamwork and, and that outside the doctor, outside the room help with the pharmacist, with the nurse, and then also with this rise in misinformation. Um, within each group, I, I, within each specialty or even just in general medicine, looking for the outside tools that can be trustworthy. Um, you know, in inflammatory bowel disease, there's the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation that has a number of online web resources. And so I don't have, you know, with 20 minutes to see a patient, I may not be able to get to every question they might have, but I will always give them and redirect them to that website and they can get more resources. And I'll make a shameless plug here that, you know, I'm on the National Board of Doctors for America. And in the setting of COVID, we've seen so much misinformation about the virus and now about the vaccines. And we developed a toolkit um, that anyone can access and they can share. And it is updated weekly or daily to weekly by doctors so that other doctors can feel confident saying, look, you know, at some point you're going to give, be offered this vaccine and I want you to feel comfortable taking it. I want to answer your questions. 
please go here and then come back to me with any additional questions you might have. We need those resources. We need to be able to utilize a team approach and the team is not just you know, the doctor and the nurse, but it's the web now. We need the web to be on our side here um, to help patients understand. You know, Jill, what this comes down to really, we have an explosion of information. Mm -hmm. I mean, unprecedented exponential rise in information, but it behooves us as healthcare providers to make sense of that yeah. for our patients. And, and I think, and that's mm -hmm. the whole topic of the show tonight, yeah. it's health literacy, it's translating all this information into something that can value our patients. All that stuff, all this technology doesn't help us if we are unable to communicate with our patients uh, to do the right thing. So the, this kind of ties in with a question from a viewer on Facebook. Is there one website that is more reliable than others? What's your top website you send patients to? <laughs> Depends on what you're asking about. <laughs> I, for, for inflammatory bowel disease, I say the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. Um, and and you, again, you're looking for something that is, has patient involvement, I think. Um, you're looking for something that's easy for patients to understand, even if English is not their primary language. Um, maybe they don't have um, the 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 vocabulary um, that or the you know the literacy that that a, a website like the CDC might have, and it would be just very difficult for them to understand. So you want to identify those sorts of resources right off the bat. Maybe and I keep a list um, my my phone of these you know, great resources for patients whenever a question comes up and I seek them out when I don't have them just to be able to answer those questions. Yeah, it's reputable sites such as the American College of Physicians, which is mm -hmm. the, the national organization for internal medicine doctors. There are healthcare systems that have very good educational websites, yeah. for example, yeah. the Mayo Clinic. I, and I they, love Mayo yeah. Clinic. They do it the in Mayo terms that can be understood. Mm -hmm. and, and that's mm -hmm. what we need to refer these patients to. Yeah, I'd say Mayo Clinic's probably my best for patient information. So, excellent. And you're, look, you're looking for something that's written by a patient so that they, they can put it in the words that need to Correct. be said. Correct. Exactly. All right. Well, doctors today take more of a team-based approach to health care to maximize health outcomes. Prairie Doc reporter Tori Burt talked with a nurse and a patient to learn about the benefits of having a healthcare advocate. I refer to myself as like an extension of the care team. I'm a nurse, I can triage, I can do all the things that a standard nurse does, um, but I also, I have the time then that I can actually sit and listen to someone if they're having concerns concerns, questions, if they just need that extra time that maybe an elderly person does or a lower, lower functioning person does, um, just to really give them that extra attention. Or maybe it's a really complicated diagnosis. And then I can help to kind of guide through that as well and answer any questions, um, you know, about maybe what the doctor told them or, you know, just give me more information. So a lot of it is I can really assist and ask answering most any question, you know, and if I can't answer it, I can go to the provider and they can help me. How does that help patients with their health literacy mm -hmm. and um, just understanding what's going on? Exactly. I think the biggest thing to think of when you think of health literacy would be understanding that it is individual to every single person. Every single person learns differently, has a different capability of understanding, you know, basic versus complex things. You know, there's times even as a nurse that doctors will be chatting away and I'll be like, oh, 
can you say that again? I didn't, you know, I didn't hear you. I didn't understand you. So, you know, really just asking clarification questions. Um, but yes, if someone has any sort of barrier, whether it's, you know, learning, understanding, or even just feeling comfortable enough to ask those questions, that is definitely a barrier to their health literacy. Do you have a lot of patients that do come and they are lost with what the doctor um, has said? Yeah, I have a lot of patients that misconstrue what the doctors say. You know, one person can think, oh, so-and-so fired me. Well, no, they didn't fire you. Um, and it's just basically me calling and saying, hey, you know, could you explain to me a little bit what happened with this patient? Um, or what do you think the next step is? So really where they thought they were fired, it's just saying, you know, you're beyond what I can help with right now. I think you need to go to this person. Um, it's really just that extra set of ears to kind of reassure them. Okay, what has been your experience with using coordinated care? Oh, they've been awesome. They've helped me with medications and with uh, health questions. Well, and Julie, one thing like you and I, I mean, we did more than just health stuff too. You know, you had all those questions with your payee and we, yep. you know, we reached out to them and we, you know, tried to figure out what your biggest concern with them was. And yep. I mean, there's been a lot of, it's not all medical stuff. You know, a lot of times it can be, you know, just daily life struggles. Yeah. So, yeah. Dr. Mina, have uh, you worked with coordinated care teams or do they have those out uh, where you're practicing? We do, we definitely work with coordinated care teams. And I will say, um, I mean, and I will say it's been a little bit more difficult with COVID. Everyone's gotten pulled into so many different directions that we've lost some of our um, ancillary care just because they're on different services now. Um, all of us are on different services. I did general medicine and I haven't done that in ages for a while. Um, but we do, without question, we have a nurse navigator who helps really, I, I mean, trying to schedule an appointment sometimes can be confusing and, and understanding what it is exactly that I need, you know, what kind of a CAT scan, you get asked all these questions and you don't know what the answer is or why you were being asked to get this. And so we have a nurse navigator who helps, uh, you know, really, you know, champion the patients through all of the different things that we want them to do. My nurses are, are fantastic. I don't have a nurse practitioner or somebody like that, but my nurses are amazing. And I've tried to make it a habit, especially with COVID, to reach out to one of my patients um, every week. So usually my older patients who I know are living by themselves. And I was, you know, uh, surprised to find the amount of patients who are struggling with food, just getting food. And how can I be taking care of their inflammatory bowel disease when they can't get food? And so I started sending meals to some of my patients just to make sure that they had some food because they couldn't, they were afraid to go to the grocery store, they couldn't get to a grocery store and there were food insecurity that was going on. Um, and so when you can make that time, I think it's really useful to make that sort of time to understand um, what's going on and, and, and what are the real struggles that patients are having that preclude them from even being able to, to, to get to their disease state. They've got other issues that they need to work with. Oh, I want you to be my doctor. 
<laughs> so, all right. A, a viewer on Facebook states, my daughter-in-law has Turner syndrome, which until I met her, I had no knowledge of despite my 40 years as a nurse. This is such a rare disease, and I wonder if many doctors also have limited knowledge. Do people with rare conditions need to be more proactive to educate their doctors? Um, I, my, actually, my best friend from med school had Turner syndrome, so I'm, I'm very familiar with it through her. Uh, but yes, it's not something, it's, I think you hear it one day in a genetics class and you might not hear it or see it again. Um, so definitely, I've had patients come to me with rare conditions that came in with a beautiful packet of information from a reputable source, and I said, thank you, I don't know much about this, but we're going to learn together. And I'm, I welcome when patients want to teach me about something I don't know. But that's an approach that, again, that trust is going to be there, as opposed to, I'm going to hide this. I don't know much about it, but I'm going to act like I do. Uh, no, not a good idea. You're, no. you're, you're showing your vulnerability. You're showing that we're going to learn this together. And if I am at a point where I feel I need expertise, we will do that for you. And patients will respond to that, I think. Exactly. Honesty. Yeah. And I've had times where I'll say, you know, you're in for a sore throat, but let me talk to your oncologist. Let me talk to your GI doc to make sure that the medication yeah. I want to put you on Correct. will not yeah. mess up your biologic, will not mess up your chemotherapy. Let's make sure that they're on the same page and know what's going on because what you're having may be a complication of your disease process or a new medication you were just started on, the whole team needs to know what's going on. And that means not just doctor nurse, it also means doctor to doctor, specialist yeah. to primary care. Correct, correct. I, and I, loved, I love it when they do that because I sometimes don't know what's going on with my patients. So now I know that they're starting a new medication for their migraines. Somebody's reached out to me to say, is this going to interfere with the medication they're on? I'm like, no, and this is great. Thank you so much. I had no idea they were having such a tough time with, you know, with migraines. It gives me insight into my patients as well. Um, and to get to, to something, you know, that both of you had said or, or alluded to, I think people trust you more when you can say, I don't know. Um, they really trust you when you say, I don't know, but I'm going to go and look that up and I will get back to you. That, I think, shows that you're trying for them and that you're being honest with them. And I think it's really invaluable to remember that. Yeah. And I think that's the hardest lesson for a young doctor to learn, is, is to say, I don't know. And I tell that to my, my students when I'm teaching them, it is always okay to say, you don't know, but I'm going to find out. You yes. can't just say, I don't know, and, and leave it and hanging. Leave it. No, no, don't want it's, to do that. I don't know, and this is what I'm going to do about it. I, I want to find out. So, a caller has had some bad doctor visit experiences, communication-wide at various health facilities. What can the patient do to better communicate uh, between doctor and patient? I, I think, first of all, um, the patient has to be proactive. Um, and, and, and just feel, don't feel uh, encumbered by bringing up your concerns and say, you know, and that's happened to me before. We're all busy physicians and sometimes we will have, be having bad days like everybody else. And patients, if they say, Dr. Ridgway, you know, I, I'm frustrated. I just don't understand this at all. And right away, it's like, yes, thank you for doing that. I tell my nurse, look, I need another 15 minutes. We're gonna go over this, we're gonna discuss it. I think patients should feel that they can bring this up. And as long as they're not doing it in a confrontative fashion, and, but in a true, you know, I'm just confused and I'm frustrated. Please help me. 
all physicians are going to listen to that. I mean, that's why we went into medicine. That's what we're trying to do. We get caught up with things just like everybody else. So I would encourage patients just bring it up. And if you bring it up in a, in a very collegial fashion, I think most of the time you'll get a good response with that. Yes, definitely. I, it's, you know, you got to remember doctors are humans too, and we can get defensive and we can get embarrassed and we can be frustrated and upset if we feel that we're being, you know, some doctors don't like to be challenged. They don't like someone to, no. to call them out and say that, you know, you're wrong. And, you know, that all of a sudden now you're adversaries instead of partners. I appreciate it when patients tell me that because it wakes me up. And yes, as opposed to they don't say anything and then they're angry, they're frustrated, and then it comes out at another visit. And so I, as a, as a physician, really like to empower patients to mm -hmm. really tell me if they're not getting out of the visit what they want because they're coming, they're paying, they deserve good care, yep. whatever that may be. And, and I'd rather hear it from them than on a patient survey exactly. a month yeah. or two later. Yeah. Or and from I a have, friend. Or, and I have no idea which patient this is about I, and, and what I did wrong. How do I get better if I don't know yeah. which patient I yes. upset? So, if, you, if you don't speak up during that visit, then we can't make it better. We can't make ourselves better. We can't make this relationship better. We can't make your care better. So definitely, definitely speak up. And I do, I, I, I also want to say, you know, to echo what you said, patients, uh, doctors are humans as well. And there are days where it's a bad day um, or it's a frustrating day or something very human has happened to that doctor. And so sometimes we do need to uh, come out of ourselves and whatever, you know, we're having to deal with and, and remember that there's another person here as well. And so just being able to tell us, hey, listen, I'm, I'm just a little frustrated. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand this. I'm not feeling better. Um, that's a really powerful wake-up call. In medical school, we have simulated uh, patient experiences for mm -hmm. our students, and we are uh, grading them behind a, a one-way mirror. And they're standardized patients. Standardized patients will give feedback to the student on what the student did well mm -hmm. and where the student missed the boat. They use technical terms like angina instead of chest pain, right. dyspnea instead of shortness of breath. And these standardized patients are great. They will call them on it. And it's a <laughs> learning experience. And, and our hope is if they get this feedback throughout their medical training, they're going to be less likely to do those things in residency and once they're physicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those uh, simulated patient experience, I think, in learning are invaluable. I mean, I still will talk to med students about an experience I had with a simulated patient in med school years ago and how it left such an impression oh, on me. Oh, we remember them. We oh, remember yeah. them, especially when we messed up, right? When we messed up. Yes. You learn more yes. from being wrong than from being right. Yes. Oh, they call you out. They, they do. I don't, I, I don't know what the patients are, but our, our simulated patients are oh, yeah. nurses um, who work in the hospital system, and, and they will call out the medical student. They will make you remember what you did Exactly. Wrong. And it's a good thing, right? I mean, it's students... an absolutely great thing. Yeah. It, it really is. Yeah. So we're trying, we want to be better, and, and we're trying to make the next generation better. So a few minutes left here. There's a quick question here. When a PA or nurse practitioner orders a medication, do they check with a physician first? I say it's very practice dependent. Yeah, it is very practice dependent. Um, they do not always have to. Um, it, it, and many times it may be 
Um, and, and it also, I think it also depends on if they're working with in, in collaboration with another physician, with a physician on that patient. Um, so if we have some physician extenders who uh, see the patients, but then report back and the doctor may not actually see the patient, but the doctor does know what's going on, as opposed to somebody who's seeing them independently, in which case, yes, they can prescribe medications independently and they most certainly do. So, all right. Well, right now that's on the, the House floor about independent practice for yes. PAs. Nurse practitioners already have independent practice in South Dakota. So last 30 seconds takeaway, uh, Dr. Mina, you first. I will say um, to all patients, do not be afraid, do not be embarrassed to engage in, with, in developing a relationship and shared decision-making with your physicians. Um, speak up if you don't understand something, never be embarrassed to say, I don't know, because we need to know that you don't know and we need to also feel comfortable to have that shared experience with you and to explain it. Um, and there's certainly things we don't know as well. And we're gonna learn and we're gonna do this together, but we wanna hear from you. It's really important. All right, 30 seconds, Dr. Rageway. It's about trust. It's about communication. Um, it's about an equal relationship, not one person telling another person what to do. They come to us for advice. We try to communicate that in as clear language as possible and do not forget empathy. That's what the art of medicine is about. And that's what we as healthcare providers should be giving our patients. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for teaching the next generation of doctors how to be better at the art of medicine. And now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Doc quiz question. To improve health literacy, patients should have the option to hear explanations in their native language, true or false. And the answer is, of course, true. It may not be easy, but it, anything we can do to help improve understanding is important. The winner of tonight's quiz is Dolores Gilbertson from Arlington, South Dakota. Thank you, Dolores, for participating, and a book will be in the mail soon. We'll be right back after this. Extra, extra, read the Prairie Doc Perspectives weekly column in your local newspaper. More than 130 newspapers in the region print the newspaper column written by the Prairie Docs, covering a variety of medical and health-related topics. Ask your local paper if they print Prairie Doc Perspectives. Many people are familiar with the classic Abbott and Costello comedy skit, Who's on First? But for those who are not familiar, the routine is a hilarious interaction between two comedians as they discuss players on a baseball team, while using confusing references such as who's on first and what's on second. The audience can see that Abbott believes he is clearly communicating the player names to Costello, but it digresses into a laughable experience of misunderstanding and frustration for both parties. The men become increasingly angry as the conversation goes on and each feels that the other is not listening. The situation may be funny in the world of entertainment, but it can be disastrous when it happens between doctor and patient. At times, conversation in the exam room can inadvertently go down a similar path of confusion. I recall one such experience when I was showing an x-ray to a patient. I pointed out and said, here is the fracture. The patient looked at me, gave a sigh of relief and said, thank goodness doc, I was afraid you were gonna tell me that it was broken. At that moment, I realized my choice of words had not provided the clarity I intended. 
Thankfully, this patient spoke out, which alerted me to the misunderstanding, allowing me to rectify it immediately. Those of us in the medical field must always be mindful to ensure that we explain things in clear, everyday language. I apologize for our failures, which do happen, and I also ask for your help. Doctors are human, and we may incorrectly assume that our patients understand what we are saying, especially if our patients do not tell us otherwise. Healthcare is a partnership which requires communication from both doctor and patient. It's important to recognize that not all cultures and generations feel empowered to question a doctor. Other patients hesitate to ask what they feel might be perceived as a silly question. In addition, patients have varying levels of education and experience when it comes to participating in medical conversations. Sometimes it's helpful for the patient to have a family member or friend in the room to help the patient feel at ease and convey information. Doctors strive to be sensitive to these situations, to welcome and encourage questions, and then listen closely when the patient speaks. No doctor I know will intentionally or maliciously confuse a patient. We welcome your participation so both patient and doctor can best understand what care is needed. Let's work together and keep the conversation going to make sure we both know who's on first and what's on second when it comes to your health. A big thank you to our guests, Drs. Tim and Mina, for volunteering their time to help us learn more about the importance of good communication in healthcare. If you would like more information about this program or to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube and follow us at prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. That does it for tonight. From all of us here at On Call with the Prairie Duck, until next time, stay healthy out there, people. People with diabetes need to watch their blood sugar levels, but there is much more. It's not just the sweets, the three-legged stool of diabetes. Next time, On Call with the Prairie Duck. Hi, I'm Ken Bartholomew. I'm a doctor from Pierce, South Dakota, and I grew up in Lemon, South Dakota. I've been a fan of the Prairie Doc since its inception. I've known uh, Rick and Joni Holm for about 25 years. Rick's uh, vision was to have free, non-biased uh, medical information that had no political or manufacturing spin, and it's available to anyone with a TV set or a computer uh, free of charge. We're funded completely by donations. We don't accept any advertising money. We're a 501c3 foundation, and you can go to prairie.org and donate. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by 
Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Saline Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swift Tail Communications.